A History of Live Sound with Chris Sam. This is part two of my interview with Mark Coyle, the man who made Oasis hit you between the eyes. We're going to hear about learning his craft from Oz, New Order's sound engineer, running a gig like a military manoeuvre, and the perfect size for a venue. Mark explains how he likes his gigs to have some punk and attitude to them. Yeah. Oh, like, it's, it's, I mean, it's why I like, like a, a cheaper, shitty PA. Because mm. like, they've got a certain quality to them, you know. They've got a certain gritty dustiness to them that are really nice, you know. You've got to work with what you've got rather than... Rather than being given the whole palette, you're like, I've yeah, got, sure, got this palette yeah. and it's slightly limited, but I'm going to I'm gonna make something really beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to make that. something amazing. I'm going to watch this now. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to take your head off in about five minutes' time with this PA. And it's a great thing. And you can do that with any PA system. I always love... Apart from the modern ones, you can't do because they're shit these days. <laughs> they're absolute <laughs> shite. Something I always kind of liked, and and really this is something I, I learned kind of working with Oz as well, uh, Ed and Di, was that you turn up to somebody's PA and all I want to know off the guy is, is it switched on? No, uh, in, the, in the nicest way, it fucking leave me alone, I'll sort all this out now. Does it all work? Right, that's all I need to know. Go put the kettle on. Come get me a cup of tea. I'm going to work, and then you just, you take over mm. their system, and never have anyone say to you, "That's the way we set that graphic up." I like that. This is how I set graphic up. Flatten it off, and we start again. Because I'm not having your settings from the last three years. <laughs> I'm not working through that. First thing, flatten that graphic. Flatten everything, absolutely everything. Every channel, like, oh no, we, we usually leave it set that one, that channel for the bass drum and give a fuck. Flat, everything flat. They freak them out because they're coming in every day and not touching anything. Lazy fuckers, yeah. lazy bastards, man. And that's why their PAs usually sound shit. So you go in, they flatten everything in sight, absolutely everything in sight. Effect, go through these effects machines, flatten fucking everything, absolutely everything start again takes you 10 minutes and 10 minutes later the guy will come up and he'll go never heard my PA sound like this before (laughs) and that is the moment I think when uh, you've arrived when When the guy who owns the PA yeah you got when you've kind of got to a a stage where you can go in and just confidently go say to the guy is it switched on I'll see you in about an hour and a half. If something's not working, I want you here, but don't fucking interfere. And don't tell me this is how we usually do it in this venue because this is now my gig. And that's what we used to bring to the gigs and to the bands as well. And the bands want to see you behaving like that. You know, the band don't want somebody who can be pushed around in charge of their sound. They don't want that. They want somebody in the front, 
fight in their corner for them in the craziest yeah. fucking gigs. You know, you've told yourself you'd turn up some venues are fucking insane, you know. You stand your ground with the sound and make that and make that gig happen and make mm. it and make it sound amazing every night that fast. Yeah. Real quick, man. Be quick and be thorough and be good and make it fucking loud, please. You know? That's where I think that's where I'd stand with it all. Yeah. No, it it, it makes sense and it's not you know, gigs have become very samey. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the whole business is samey. And and whilst that's great for consistency, because everything is very, you know, like crossover settings now are dictated by the manufacturers, and that's what happens because they've done the research and they said that's how this PA yeah, works best. Yeah. And whilst it is consistent, you know, I think someone said to me like, you know, no production manager ever got sacked. For putting DMB and L acoustics on a on a spec, mm. because if it sounded bad, somebody's why did it sound bad? Oh well, he, he wanted some weird PA we've never heard of. Mm. Whereas if you say, well, I ordered the industry standard PA, and I've nothing against those boxes yeah. particularly, but there's a certain, um, you know, everything's been whittled down so that now there's a very sort of standard baseline of everything. Yeah, there is. A, you know, I think that runs true for the whole industry. I think all the music sounds the same, all the records sound the same, all the gigs sound the same. It sounds terrible to me. It all just sounds awful. I've not been to a gig in a few years now, but I stopped going to gigs because they just sounded shite. So it sounded atrocious, you know, just atrocious. No matter who was mixing, I'd just be like, that fucking hell, it sounds terrible. That's terrible. Tinny, thin, thin PA systems. Where the fuck did they come from? I don't know. I just don't know. I've got an idea where it started going wrong. And I think it started going wrong when people started putting bullets in the PA mm-hmm. and sub-bass in the PA. I think that is where it fucking went wrong. Now, that I think that's kind of all right for... Uh, electronic music I think that's yeah. uh, kind of part and parcel of that type of thing but for a band for me it doesn't suit the fucking music you know just doesn't fucking suit it I remember I was getting bullets he never used to have bullets in his PA uh-huh. I think it was an interesting point in that PA system because before that bass bins mids and horns that's all you had yeah. now that always sounded great mm. so all of a sudden then People put in spread bullets on top, and you've got all this, all this really tishy top end on there, and then they put in subs on the bottom. They're going five way with PA systems, fucking ruined it, man. They absolutely fucking ruined it, and they they ruined it in such a grand style that I think it took uh, the dirt and the filth out of guitar bands, yeah, and it started becoming a bit. Uh, polite sounding to me. I think it got too complicated. Yeah. And I think I think the engineers got too complicated. I, th- I think there's a few instances where it's gone a bit fucking tits up. Uh, one of them, I think, is with the PA systems. All of a sudden, they don't seem like they're suited for bands. Mm. They don't sound right in a band. Now, for example, you take Ozzy's old Martin system. 
And that was so cut for guitar bands. Uh, it's just built for it, really. It comes from that era, though, mm. as well. Even the cheapo, horrible PA systems that I worked for in Manchester, the PA sounded good for the bands that were playing through yeah. them. And it kind of reflected where the bands, uh, what they were, the personalities and everything come out of that PA. And it kind of all matched up well. And then... Yeah, so they're fucking about and they're putting bullets and sub-bass and I, I always thought, oh, I'm not fucking liking this really very much. So when I was specking PAs myself, I'd be like, like leave the subs at home in a warehouse with SSE or mm. one of the London companies or something. Like that, don't be wasting space with sub-bass. What we want is more bass and mids, uh -huh. please. Leave your subs at home. I mean, it was all getting to be box systems and where you'd have a mid-top and it'd be all, all the bins and then the subs and all that. I'd be like, leave the subs at home, but bring me extra PA instead. Uh, so would you, you hang more in the air, as it were? Well, what I, what, what I started doing, and kind of nobody else was, was doing it, and I don't think anyone, anybody, I've never seen anyone else do it, is that I started to... Um, so we'd have the PA at the front, but I always thought, so that's a bit weird, that. Uh, the PA's at the front, and then even where I'm stood midway down a hall, I mean, like, the gig's kind of, it's a bit over there, if you know what I mean. And, you, mm. and you've, got, you've got to walk 10 or 20 metres into the heart of the room, and then the PA starts happening, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I can, you know, you can, you can kind of feel the bins, and the sound all kind of comes together. And I see you mixing. You're not mixing for your position, you're yeah. mixing... For, for a different 10, position in meters. the room. Yeah. Pretty fucking strange concept to me. I don't really, I don't understand that. Either put your mixing desk right in the mosh pit, which can't really do, <laughs> can't really do that. So, so you got me out of the way. So what I started doing was putting a PA at the back of the room as well, pointing in. So I'd have PA at the front and PA at the back. And that's when it started getting really fucking good. <laughs> Because it's like a surround yeah. uh, sound then, and the gig isn't over there. The gig is, you're in the middle of it, there's no mm. escape in it, you know. If you, you walk that way, uh, then you're just walking into more PA, so there's just PA all over the place, and that that's the way I started, you know, specking my gigs. Was, yeah, leave, leave your subs at home, don't fucking need them. You know, this is a rock and roll band or a guitar, because I've generally worked with guitar bands, you know. Yeah. So that that's kind of where I stood with it, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's where it got ruined, you know. And edu educated engineers. Now I don't know whether you are or not, and if you are, accept my apologies. <laughs> I'm not having a go at you. I'm, 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 I'll, I'll, but I'll I, I think the kids coming out of college. What the fuck's that all about? You know, I don't get that. You know, I feel like they've missed out uh, a really crucial element in uh, being an engineer, which is not knowing anything but doing a gig. You've got to fight for this, you know. There's not some guy going, now let's just let me explain this again to you, what releases or something. You know, there's not a lot going on. You've got, you've got to fight your way in. You know, nobody's going to tell you anything. I mean, I could, you know, I could be completely wrong and being really crass about it there, but I think there's an element where that becomes part of the sound, you know, and part of the feel and part of the vibe of a, of a gig. There's an element of trying to 
discover it for yourself rather than being told. That's yeah. the, you know, that's the... Yeah. I mean, even as a musician, man, nobody fucking taught me nothing. Right? I never had a lesson. And all I ever did was maybe watch other players and try and see possibly what they might be doing. But I just, I taught myself how to play. And I like self-taught musicians. And I've, I've worked with classically trained musicians as well, orchestras, mm. quartets and all this, and they're fucking shite. They're useless, you know, they're useless unless they're reading from the script. Very, very good, very good at playing what they see in front of them. Mm. But if you were to take that away and just say, no, just have a fucking noodle for 10 minutes, just have a noodle, lost, absolutely lost. And I, I, I don't understand that concept, but it's the same. It runs parallel, I think, with live music, where you've got to be able to improvise you've, and you've got to think on your feet and you've got to you've be got able to, to live learn. by your wits. Yeah, very, know. very much, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there used to be a need to live by your wits because you'd walk into a new venue and you'd be like, yeah. right, how are we going to make this work today? Yeah, yeah. And at some point in the afternoon or evening, you'd be like, right, I need to backtrack and do something different here because this isn't working. Yeah. And you've got to have the confidence to know when to make that call. Yeah, of course you have. And but sometimes you don't get the chance to make that call because you'll be doing a gig. There's no sound check. And some of the biggest venues on the planet, you know, these big fucking American sheds or, you know, some field in, in Ireland with, with, with 130,000 people in it, you don't sound check for them gigs. Obviously, you just turn up, mm. you do a line check, and the band comes on stage and you just go... <laughs> and hope and pray and you just fucking you know you're, you're completely on your wits and your experience there that when you fucking hit them masters you you've know, got 30 seconds to make the mix right it's got to be it's got to be so fast you know you yeah. can't you know you can make sure that vocal is bang straight straight away can't be none of that turn the vocal up you know <laughs> It's got to be fucking spot on straight yeah. away. 130,000 kids going fucking nuts, you know. I still feel like that. On, there's still that moment where you're like, we've checked the microphone, but when the singer walks out to it and says that first good evening, is it going to work? Yeah. Uh, is everyone going to turn around? It's got to pop. He moves, yeah. he can't be looking at you going, who's that fucking engineer? It can't, it can't be... <laughs> you know what you do. It's, it's yeah, got to, yeah, got to be right. It's, it's spot on straight away. It's got to hit, you know, yeah. hit them between the eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Away. And your gig can't start weak. Your gig's got to start fucking like that, bang, like a fucking hammer, but like a hammer blow. You know? I always have a little trick though with that, which is that I'll just have the master down like five dB. Yeah, because it's much, it's much better to start the gig and to have a whoosh where well, you, the sound you, goes no, up. No, you've got, have, you got to if, save 10%. But, if you, yeah, but yeah. if you start at the top and go, gosh, I've really overcooked that, yeah. and you turn it down, everyone goes, oh. Yeah, it's all shit all so, the time. And your gig can't be like that. It's that moment where you feel like suddenly the volume's just yeah. gone whoosh. Yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got to be like that. I mean, I, I always try to make my gigs whoosh right from virtually before the band are coming on stage. I want to wear the, the amps bumming and buzzing and I want to hear all them little things because if you can hear that you know it's going to be fucking awesome in a minute and it, it's part of the excitement it's anticipation oh so much so I mean when I, when I started going to watch gigs that's what really mm. got me excited like oh, 
any minute, it's any fucking minute now, and and you can feel the excitement, and you can see the red lights, the amp in the dark, and you can hear the buzz, and it's all humming, and it's fucking ready to explode, and the band walk on, and it's just like somebody's fucking got a hammer and just gone bang right in your forehead. You know, it's a lovely thought when you're like, yeah, I'm I'm playing with people's emotions here, right? Now. Absolutely, you are, and. Yeah. and yeah. And if you're a sound engineer and you're not playing people's emotions, then you're not doing it right. No, no, something, <laughs> there's something de- desperately fucking wrong. And I, I you know, I, I know engineers that are like that as well. I work for PA companies that you can just, they they can ruin a gig, you know. Mm. I've yeah. seen, I've, I remember seeing the Roses years ago, and I wasn't working the gig, so we went down to watch it, and it was. Um, it was one of the ones at International City. They played loads of times in the International Clubs because their manager owned them, owned them clubs. So we, we used to hang out there all the time. And uh, I went to see them one night. I, I wasn't working it. But the PA company who were working it, who shall remain unnamed in this podcast, <laughs> were, they were just not interested in the gig. Mm. And it, you could tell. You could just fucking tell that it was, you know, it was, you could tell it was poor on stage and you could tell it was poor in the front because they didn't give a fuck. I was fucking angry that night because it should have been rocking, but it wasn't because the sound wasn't rocking. Mixing bands like like Oasis, for example, it's got to be rocking because they were rocking. If they were rocking and the PA wasn't rocking... Well, what the fuck's that all about? One of the guys who was mixing the Rolling Stones a couple of years ago, and he said, my job is to not get in the way of the audience and the band. He said, I'm just trying to put across what they're giving out as best as I can. And that playing with emotions thing again, it's like, I'll sometimes overemphasize drop downs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because the audience thrive off that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's, you know, that's mixing yeah, isn't it, as well. You yeah, know. it's heightening the effect that the music's having. Of course, on it is. Yeah, and it's it, all it is doing is it's emphasising the thing that the bands are doing themselves. Yeah, yeah, totally. But you just make sure that it has that little bit of impact. So that yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When it kicks back in, you, yeah, 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 you get you got you got to start. You've got to push faders around. You got to ride things. You got to ride your mass. You got you've got to mix the gig. You know, mm. I hate to see people just stood there like that. Like, well, you, you're fucking working, what? You know, are you, are you mixing this gig? And, and they're not doing anything. They're not, not moving. You know, I'm not saying you should be constantly yeah. fiddling and fucking about, but you certainly, you've got to work the gig and you've got to chase the band all the time, you mm. know? Yeah, I always, deli- so, I always like mixing. But, you know, I'm not frightened to mix it on inferior equipment because I think you can make it sound good, you know? Yeah. And depending on the band... Depending on what type of band it is, or some bands suit a gritty little dirty system that's not working properly, you know. Yeah. Oasis always did. They always had suited a, uh, you know, a, a dive bar. Yeah, <laughs> they kind of, they kind of did their their music. I mean, particularly early on, kind of suited that kind of thing, you know. Mm. They'd come from that. They were writing music that was kind of suited to that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I stopped working for them. And I went to see a gig a while afterwards, and it was atrocious. Sound was shite. They were a different band. Mm. They were a different band. Is it, is and, I, and I just thought, 
And, you know, oh, fucking, oh, how would you put this without sounding like a right swat? <laughs> Give it a I don't think you can. I don't think I. I, I don't think I could. I, I. I think all I could say was the edge was gone. They had an industry engineer, and I'm not an industry engineer. Mm. You know, I, I'm a purely self-sort, earthy type of engineer. And when the industry took over, you can't see, and everything's dead polite all of a sudden. Sounds shit. Basically, it's gone. Band finished. May as well split yeah. up, you know. If you if you gone that if you gone that route, you've got to appease the industry mm. to progress in the industry as well in a lot of respect, you know. Yeah. And li- yeah, live yeah live live sound. I don't know. I don't get it anymore. I don't I don't understand it anymore. I don't understand the whole scene anymore. Really, I'm mm. kind of very far removed from it these days. But back in the day, you know, I, I think when it was real hot. In the you know certainly through the eighties and into the early nineties, then you know I th- I think the band sounded amazing, you know, but for a particular reason, it's because yeah. the PA systems were just they were in sync with the bands, you know, mm. and then all of a sudden they went out of sync and the PA's didn't match the bands, like you know having too many subs. When you've got a drum kit, it just doesn't work. You've got all that weight and that in the bottom, but you, you lose your thump then. And if you lose your thump with a drum kit, fuck's that all about? I suppose there was an element that people invested lots of money in a PA system and they were buying a PA system that could do everything. It could be used. Yeah, yeah. For, it yeah. could be used in your church yeah, gig. Sure, it could be yeah. used for your yeah. speech yeah, yeah, events, yeah. and it could be used for for rock and roll. Yeah. But maybe making something that suited every application meant that you did lose some of the things that were special about hiring a rock and roll system versus mm, a, yeah, a yeah. And there was, I mean, at that time, there was a lot. All the systems were rock and roll systems. Mm. You know, it was, it was kind of at a time, and I, pr- I presume it must have been pretty similar in the sixties. You know, where they, where they were like no monitors and things like that. No, you know, I've I've done plenty of gigs with no monitors. In the first instance, the gig still goes ahead. I remember we did a gig in one of the Manchester universities with my PA system, and we turned up to do the gig, and that particular day we couldn't get the monitors working. We didn't have a monitor desk yeah. at the time. It was it was all from the front house mixer, and the reason I don't know maybe the amp had blown or there was there was something, but basically I couldn't get the monitors going. And the band was the Rubettes, a seventies. Have you heard of that man? Yes, yeah. Seventies rock and rolly, poppy. They had a, they had a few pretty big hits. They were on that kind of cabaret-ish, last legs, kind of going out in the transit van again, yeah. uh, earning a few hundred quid kind of thing. They were old men, you know, very experienced old men. Some of them been been playing since the early 60s and that. They were very, very experienced. And I walked up to the stage and uh, just said to the guys, I can't get them on, it's working, mate. I just can't, it's just not going to be happening. And, and the guy just went... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Another experience of that. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. He was. He. They were so fucking cool. But there could have been another band who had gone right. We're not doing the fucking gig. 
And if you're not doing the gig, then you're a wanker. You know, because you, you should be out, you should be able to deliver your gig in any circumstance. You know, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be technically correct to make a racket. So they yeah. they were cool that day because they did it without monitors mm. as they used to do. It reminds me of a monitor anecdotes. Graham Lambert said, "Graham Lambert is the guitarist in the Inspiral Carpets, and Noel is Noel Gallagher. At one time, the band's backline tech, and later on." Noel Gallagher. He said he was doing a show somewhere in Germany and you were on the monitors. And he, <laughs> you might I know the night. I know exactly what you're going to say. Oh. <laughs> yeah, go on, say and he, and he said, we'd done this sound check and everything was good. Yeah. We went out. And yeah. I was like, it sounds like mud out here. What's going on? Yeah. And end of the song, he, he was like making faces at Noel who was handing him his madness, guitars. Madness, yeah, there was madness. And, and, he, and he, he got his guitar from him and he was like, what's happening? I can't hear a thing out here. And he was might have forgot to turn the desk on. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Every, every, all, all the outputs were muted. <laughs> oh, it's happened to the best yeah. of us, I'm Yeah, sure. it's just one of, one of them gigs, and, uh, yeah, fucking ran out that night, and, uh, and I knew there was a problem on stage. You could tell, you know, because they were, they were all like that. <laughs> Making faces yeah, at like that. <laughs> So So I kind of walked out to the edge of stage, and I was just like, that's a fucking problem, you know, and, and they said, like, I can't fucking can't hear, can't hear anything. And uh, I realised that none of the monitors were on. I walked, and I walked back to the desk and it was somewhat weird, like a mute light colour. Oh, it was red when it was on? It was, and Yeah, off. it was yeah, the like wrong way. It was the reverse colour. So I looked at it, it might have been green, was off. And I was just looking at it going, and that fuck don't fucking really make sense. <laughs> and, in, and in the end, I just... Open them up, and you could hear it from where I was stood. The old thing just went bush, like, <laughs> like we're on. Fuck, you know, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. But you know, like you say, them them things happen. I mean, luckily they thought it was hilarious, <laughs> so so that so that was good, you know. Oh. And of course, that tour we're out. We we were carrying uh, PA on that tour. We, we we were just turning up and using what what was there. I think we did a few tours in America like that as well. You know, two months out on the road in America doing that club circuit over there and mm. it's fucking madness. You've no idea what you're going to fucking walk into the biggest pile of shit. And sometimes you can do nothing. Sometimes it just... You just can't make it loud did, enough. You did know, you count yourself in, lucky if there was impossible. a monitor desk, or was it? Oh, there was always there was always a monitor desk, but it, it was never, ever of any quality, and never did it all work. And I, yeah, and one of my things was at the edge of the monitor desk, I was using somebody else's PA, keep that soldering iron plugged in. <laughs> it was just on all the time. But roll a solder next to it, and a pair of pliers. Keep that. Do not unplug that. We're no. just whipping out a channel every now and again. Oh, so. absolutely. Just it's just constant fixing other people's PAs. Constantly astounding the owners of the PA. Oh, that never worked properly. That you know, it's because a bit of wires hanging out. It's one legged or something. Oh, it's out of phase. Fucking hell, so soldiering iron out. I said, I'm going to astound you. I'm going to make your PA five times louder than it was a minute ago. And, you, you know, he just goes, bosh, and they just go, 
wow. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I've never, yeah, another instance. I've never heard my PA sound like that. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. Yeah, mixed somebody else's PA in every fucking country in the world, you know, and seen it all, seen all them systems. And these days, I don't know what they're like. Are they all good? I, I just, you know, I just don't know. Just, uh, I, wonder, I wonder what it was like these days. But back then, the, you know, you're dealing with a lot of homemade stuff. Mm. Cause, I you did know. a gig in Mexico and we turned up and it was like a dance club. It was like a big old cinema. All sorts of random speakers, you know, two of the monitors didn't work, one did. And, and they needed the monitors because they were like a, an electronic band and they were like, well, we don't have amps. Yeah, 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 this, of course, we, yeah. The mixing desk, I might as well have been in a different postcode. There was a glass window and you could just about see the stage. And I'm going, I'm mixing from another room. It's impossible, isn't it? This is mental. And the the desk was 24 channels, but there was only 16-channel multicore and only 14 of them worked. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yes, this is the good old days. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and the gig went off. It went off. It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we took. We we're like, this is a really big venue. Does anyone know who this band is? Mm. And the people were like, do not worry, it will be full. And I'm like, will it? Yeah, they know that. And we and we well, turned we turned up, and it was like the Beatles turning up at Shea Stadium. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. bundled into the venue. I was like, what on earth is going yeah, on? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah, yeah. And people were. You can really shock you, can't it? That can just you just don't know where you're up to. Makes it more exciting, I think. But it was such it was such a great gig because of that. It's like the unexpectedness of it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the triumph through adversity. And then we got to the gig and it was like the biggest party the town had ever seen. It felt like thing, yeah, yeah. It was like if this happens every weekend here, this is the coolest place to live. Yeah, what a place to live. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. We we did a tour with the Inspiral Carpets like that in France. Would they be the only band I know that toured France? Possibly. Played Paris, obviously. Mm. Lyon, Marseille, I don't know. But we spent a couple of weeks just playing these little villages, like you're talking about that, and you turn up, you know, you drive up a mountain or something, and there's there's just nothing there. There's a few houses or, a, a, you know, a farm over there and a, a short shop that... There's nothing there, it's just up there, and you, you turn up, you set up to do your gig, and you just think, What the fuck are we doing here? But but then when the gig happens, it's fucking rocking, and they come from all over the place. Mm. And we do, yeah, we did it all like that, and across France with the Inspirals, madness. And every gig was the same, you just turn up and you go, It's not even a venue, you know, it's half castle, half summer, I don't, I don't know, not, no way you'd call it a venue, and you put your gear in. And you set up and you just think it's impossible, there's going to be nobody here, like you say. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they roll in, it's a fucking great night, you know. And it turns into a venue all of mm. a sudden. You know, very strange. So, living through those sort of mad experiences, at some point, I guess, Noel was like, the, became the guitar tech for Inspiral Carpet. Yeah, no, he, he wasn't a guitar tech, he was the drum tech. Ah. Uh... He did, he did drums. See, I, I met Noel through Oz again, because uh-huh. Oz did the PA for the Inspiral Carpets. So they got me the job, not on the PA, but working for the band as roadie. Mm. So I looked after guitars and bass, and Noel did drums and keyboards. Uh-huh. So there was the two of us. We were the roadies, and Oz was just wiring up. Eddie 
was doing monitors and Diane was the front of house engineer. And we were some fucking hard nut crew. That, <laughs> that turned in, it were, that was a great crew, that. Yeah. And we were tight as fuck, it was amazing. That's what I was thinking, was if you then go and make your own band, you'd be like, those are the people I want with me. Well, you, you know, if you're going to form a band after you've seen how it can be done properly, yeah. then, you know, there's a template kind of there that you, you can learn an awful lot. I presume, you know, that Noel learned a lot just stood watching all this going on, you know, mm. and watching the way people... Um, you know, how you could just walk in and take control of a building for 20 hours and have a fucking mad time and fucking turn it upside down <laughs> and then just fuck off, you know, and yeah. just leave and go to the next venue and do exactly the same thing, military operation. Yeah, whereas if you're going in there and asking permission, it's not going to turn no, out quite the same. That's never the way we worked, never. Not, yeah. not, not for a minute, we just took over and we made it ours. And we made sure that everybody knew mm. that it was ours for the day. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, don't don't interfere. We know exactly what we're doing. This is going to be amazing. So, go put the kettle on. <laughs> <laughs> because all these sort of big live music moments in your career happened really before the internet. Mm. So little out there. It's like you're the ghost who walks. It's like. How do I find out about any of this? Yeah, and yeah. one of the few things that you can pick up on is everyone's like, it was really, really loud. It was yeah, loud. Yeah. And I was like, was it the impression of loudness or was it, no, it, was was it hitting it you in the stomach loud? Or was, it, or was it, oh my God, I can't hear for three days loud? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what gigs should be like. When I was growing up, I, I was always impressed when I couldn't hear the next day. Because I knew... I knew I'd been to a gig. Mm. I knew I'd experienced something, you know. And I, and I hadn't just gone to a gig on a whim, you know, that, oh, we'll go and check this band out or something. I was going because I fucking severely wanted yeah. the, the maximum experience. When I was mixing, that was how I wanted it to be for me as well, you know. Yeah. Every night, I want to experience it maximum, absolutely maximum. I never blew a PA up in my life. I just learned how to make it louder mm. without blowing it up. And that's something else, just watching Ozzy and Eddie. How do you make that monitor louder? Well, there's ways to do that, definitely. All about your EQing and, you know, you work with the graphic equalisers, how you can get that amplifier to work even harder. So your red lighting, you'll find out why you're red lighting. And then you can go a bit louder again until you're starting to clip red lights and then you go work out why it's doing it again. Eventually you get to the end, you know. Yeah. But there's a, there's a certain amount of levels you can, you can get in there, you know, yeah. and you can make it louder. That was what I used to hear Ozzy and Eddie saying, was we want to make it one louder. Yeah, I suppose it's listening for when you can hear it crying out and going, yeah, I think I've taken I it think, as far as I need. Yeah, I think that's as far as it can go, yeah, Let's just take it back one notch yeah. and keep it But, there. I mean, there is sweet points to be had, and if it does get a bit nasty, it's usually only getting nasty 
up in the top end somewhere, you know, mm. it might be ripping your ear a little bit. But you can you can find out exactly what that is, you know, on your graphic and just dip her out a tiny bit and find you've got another notch to go up on the mast, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or you could use and compressors on your left and right. You find that because it's under control, you can creep up your left and right a little bit more, you know. You can hit a sweet spot with a PA where it's just on the point of kind of blow it up really I mean you look at your guitar amps you know you're playing a guitar amp and you know especially the old valve type amps you know you're turning all the knobs up full all of them every every knob you know volume full bass full treble full you know everything is turned up full and then you open your guitar and just go ooh ah, that's fucking good now because <laughs> the whole thing is just on the edge of its yeah. vibration harmonically you know, it's, rich it's just it's just booting out the most beautiful madded sound you know I don't know if it's a famous saying or not but it's one that I heard and have always remembered one of the people who is the DMB system technicians from, from Germany someone said to him how often should we be going into limits on the amps not like permanent limit but yeah, yeah, how, long, how long should we, it, we uh, how often should we hold be flashing the, yeah, the limit yeah. lights and he said if you're not flashing the limit lights then you've brought too much PA good answer I like that answer it was it was like you should yeah, you know yeah. when, when everything is is going off yeah you should be hitting limit lights yeah, that's, because otherwise, that's otherwise you're, you're wasting your money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you've got too many boxes there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, quite right. And I like to think that it's like, okay, you know, sometimes there is just more PA than you need and, yes. and you don't. But it's like the old turbo sound floodlight and flashlight. Yeah, yeah. When, when you were seeing the subs limiting, you're like, now we're now we're cooking. Yeah, now, now you're there. Is, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, and it, you're and at it, that place. And it then. took on a different sound because things. Yes, you were starting it to does. get compression of, it the, does. of the bass drum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turned into a different beast. At that yeah, point. totally. You'd almost want them to turn the crossovers down just so you could be hitting the limiters a bit. Harder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I, I want to yeah. hit those limiters. Yeah, totally. Even yeah, at yeah. a lower level. Yeah, yeah. Or try to recreate that that type of sound with left and right compressors and yeah. things like that because what they do in the studio yeah. so they make them albums sound like that you know they're using compressors on top of compressors on top of compressors and while they're at it they insert another couple of compressors on top of a chain of other compressors you know and that's how they get there they crush that sound but don't crush the bounce out of it yeah. but they're crushing it you know so you'd reached this point where you're master of all your survey at the gig you're mixing a band who were, at the time, certainly one of the, the, the hottest, if not the biggest Oh, sure, they were, yeah, 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 you they know, were there, there, there was a, a level of popularity that hadn't been seen for quite sure some thing, time. Sure thing, yeah, yeah, that's right. But did, did you enjoy it at that point? Or did, or were no, you like, I, was, I was starting to not enjoy it, because, I, I mean, this is just me as well, I, I, I guess, is that my vision of a, of a gig is that it shouldn't get bigger than, say, the Apollo in Manchester mm. it shouldn't get bigger than that and if a gig's bigger than that A they never sound good they never sound good B the band is always a mile away but they're just too fucking big it's just a money making racket mm. it's a racket it's racketeering by the industry that, and it's a fucking disgrace bands just go for it you know they, they just go that route because it's the only route available 
because they're not making enough money to play smaller venues. And I think yeah. that's just fucking disgusting, actually. I think it's a fucking it's, disgrace. It, I think it's robbing the fans of some level of intimacy between the band and the audience and the sound you can create in them smaller venues. It's far superior and the vibe you can create is far superior to listening to somebody having a conversation sat next to you, because mm. you can. You can hear everything else around you and the gig is over there somewhere. I did a show a couple of years ago with Cortinas and they were like, well, we've done the arena. I want to do something different this time. Mm. So they booked, I think it was six or maybe seven nights at Manchester Apollo, mm. one after the other. Mm. <laughs> I think he needed a, a cough suite by the end of it. But there was something special about it because mm. each night there was a sort of, it, you know, it feels more intimate at that level. Yeah, yeah, totally. even Even though there's 3,000 people there, there's a different type of connection. Yeah, there is, isn't there? In a big gig, you're connecting with people around you. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Because you're like, wow, we're all having this great... Yeah, exactly, moment. yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe yeah. At, at the sort of Apollo-sized shows, you're having a connection with the band because you're yeah. close enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even the Apollo, it's too fucking big. But I'd say it's the biggest that bands should be playing at. And bands never used to play big gigs. That The Apollo mm. was as big as it got. Queen and The Who, I seen The Who at the Manchester Apollo. 1978, 79, Keith Moon, still alive. The Who, Manchester Apollo. Wow. Because that was as big as it got, unless you put a special event on, like Hyde yeah. Park or, or something like that. People were playing things like Bingley Hall and Stafford, and they, they, they were the odd big thing, but people were sticking to the circuits yeah. in them days. You know, the Stones, all them bands, man, they just played the old theatres. And the old cinemas. Mm. And there was some, for me, that's the level that I understand it. That's what I think is the big time. Yeah. If you go to the Apollo, that's a fucking big gig, man. That's as big as it should be. And you start playing, you know, the arenas. What the fuck's that all about? I just don't get what it's about. Can't see the band. Can't connect with the band. You can't get anywhere near the band. Even the barrier space is fucking 25 foot to the stage. So even if you got to the fucking front, you're still a fucking mm. good yard away from the band. Yeah, but uh, but more, I think more than anything, it's just the sound is shocking. You can't fill them, no matter how much PA you put into them places. It's still sound like your effects machine, wet. And no matter what you fucking do, you can't get it immediate. And for me, you know, I mean, I love sitting in here with my tannoys, you know, and it's right in my fucking face. And that's how I think live music should be. Mm. And it's lost it, you know. All these bands that kind of... Do they even aspire to? Is that the right word? Maybe I'm giving them a hard time, but it seems like the industry's geared to these big events. But I think ultimately they're ripping the kids off to fuck because they're not actually getting the... They're getting a different experience... Yeah. You may as well just watch it on is, your phone. Is it? Is it the Or watch that's... it on the telly or watch it on YouTube or something. Someone said to me that when you used to go and see a rock and roll band in 1960, you couldn't really hear anything. You were, you were going there just to be able to see the people in person who you'd heard on the record. Yeah. And you might recognise the tune they were playing if you were lucky. Yeah, yeah. 
And then it reached a point where you could hear the band. Yeah. And you could also see because the Because the technology had changed yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But now it, the technology's moved on and people can see the video of the band on their phone. Yeah. So now then maybe not so worried about... It's just disconnect. It's, yeah. it's a disconnect. It's, it's a difference. I don't fucking get that. You know what I mean? Where would you rather see Jimi Hendrix, right? At the Isle of Wight, a quarter of a mile away from the stage, or the marquee? Because he played both gigs. Yeah. He played the marquee. Have you done marquee in London? No, not since... Well, what is it, 250 capacity or something? It's tiny. I know where I'd like to see Jimi Hendrix. And that'd be in the marquee. And not at the Isle of Wight. Now, the Isle of Wight might have been a great, you know, experience. Like, Glastonbury is a good experience. Have you mixed at Glastonbury? Yes, yeah. So, right, so I mixed a few times at main stage in Glastonbury. And it's fucking wank. It's a disgrace, actually. It's disgraceful, the, the way that they've got to bend to the council over the noise limits and all this kind of thing. And, and actually, you're doing a very tame gig. Yeah. Really. Oh, it's, 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 it's very tame. You can hear people talking all around you when you're mixing. That's not right, man, you know. You shouldn't be out here. The guy who's looking after you saying, you're going to blow my system up. He's got to be in your ear shouting, you're going to fucking blow my system up. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And for me, that yeah. is, the gig experience should knock you fucking sideways. Now, if you want to go and watch something nice, that's a different story. But the bands yeah. I work with weren't like that. None of them. Even the, the nicer kind of bands... World of Twist or Interstellar or something. Mm. You know, Martin's band, and they weren't rock and roll, but they were rock and roll people. Yeah. And so that has got a, that has also got to come out of that PA speak. You know, they might be playing a, a lighter type of music that ain't, you know, full on heavy rock and roll, but these are proper, you know, grainy little human beings, you know, who were telling a almost a desperate fucking story of their lives and <laughs> and, and you know it's to come across it, that desperation and it's got to come away it's got to come out of the speakers that yeah. way and and it's another thing it, that kind of relates to the modern era of music where that doesn't exist anymore in the human race it doesn't exist because everybody's got fucking you know tellies in the bedrooms and computers and all phones and they, they, people have got more than they ever had in the history of the world, you know, even when yeah. we were children growing up, you know, your parents talking about how they had nothing, and you know, like my parents genuinely had fuck all, man. They were proper working class. They had fuck all. We were brought up with more than they had, but basically, mm. fuck all, nothing, you know, not you had to go out and fucking fight every inch to get anything, anything at all. You know, you guitars, man, nobody ever bought me a fucking guitar. It never, it never happened, you know. Nobody ever, ever bought me a guitar string. Fuck all. I had to go out and fucking work my ass off for that, for everything, mm -hmm. and for the way I worked and everything. We were brought up that way, but, uh, I mean, today it is, it's, you know, I've got all my hands up, my kids are the same. It's different, they've got everything. You know, there ain't going to be bands like The Stones or Oasis or New Order or all of these weird little fucking bands. They're not going to exist anymore because it's coming from a different place. Yeah. And the PA systems have gone with it. The sound systems have gone with it. Mm. You know? And people are happy these days. 
just to put the little buds in their ears and listen to music off their iPhone. Aren't they? They're happy yeah. with that. I'll fucking do, mate. I'm happy with that. I love it, though, when you take someone to a gig and music hits them in the stomach and it, it moves people because, mm. you know, people used to have a hi-fi in their living room. Yeah. And, right, and yeah. sometimes a serious hi-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. The hi-fi was taking up loads of space yeah. in the room and it's yeah, like, yeah. can we get rid of these speakers? Yeah, yeah. Okay, can we make we'll it all a bit smaller? Speakers. Yeah. And you end up with little... Bluetooth things that That's sit around right, yeah, the house, yeah. and, and I'll do. You, and you accept, you go with it. And it, the problem is with that kind of thing, is that it just fits in with the convenience of life, doesn't mm. it? Life is like that these days, so you you got to accept that that is the way it is. Yeah. But there's a better experience to be had than putting your fucking apple buds in in your ears. Yeah. And, and it, satisfying yourself with something that sounds wank, you know. Mm. But that's the way it is, you know. You won't fucking catch me doing it. I got, I got me radiogram of a, of a night, you know. Put some seventy eights on or something, and you know, listen to a bit of vinyl and enjoy a different era, you know, because yeah. that's where I come from, you know. And yeah. I, d- I didn't move forward. I never moved forward. As soon as it started moving forward, I just gave it up because mm. the rock and roll had gone. Yeah. And once the rock and roll was gone, it's not my game. No, I'm not in it to work in the industry, and I never was. I was in it because it made me feel good. And as Mark hankers after a simpler time, we shall leave him for now. Part three is coming up, with Mark's dismay about too many mics and quitting the biggest gig in the country. A History of Life Sound is presented by me, Chris Snow, executive producer at Spare Women, and is a bandwidth production.